0: Welcome to Beyond Top 10 Tennis. My name is Dr. Ashley Morgan-Burge and I'm your host. I am the author of 12 books, a CEO of 12 years, the founder of a startup set on data privacy, most importantly, an elite performance coach of over 18 years, having worked with athletes throughout Europe, the United States to Australia. Most excitingly, I am the world's leading scientist on coach and athlete performance specifically behind how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking. My work includes everything from mitigating injuries, Two conditioning behaviours that set a player up long-term for the long game towards a top 10 tennis ranking. I'm behind theories from the optimal performance theory, optimal behaviour for optimal performance, the barrier breaker, the rule of transference to the golden rule. As has become custom, each episode we dive into one of my books to share additional insights and dig a little bit deeper. We've been focusing on the secrets to optimal coaching success, the role of experience, optimal performance practices and outcomes in the real world. With over 60 episodes to date, today's topic plays its own role like so many other episodes in developing the player, parent, coach for that road ahead towards a top 10 tennis ranking. So as always, buckle and enjoy the ride Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Whether you've been with us for some time now, thank you so much, or you are brand new. uh, Thank you so much all the same. Um, I really would encourage you if you have not, however, to track especially to our uh, previous episode, uh, primarily because uh, I shared that with the Australian Summer of Tennis now here, it has to be the most exciting time of the year um, for those of us who are avid tennis followers or uh, fans in any way, shape or form, uh, because it is a whole entire month of tennis, essentially in our own backyard. although i do say that very very loosely Uh, but more so um on a, a serious note was uh because it started to share that uh especially over the next couple of weeks we're going to redirect um our episodes especially around player performance key metrics um review some core results to really help i think players um especially if they are inside the top 10, vying for a round a 16 to quarterfinal berth at the 2024 Australian Open or even even better. So we have a lot of metrics a lot, a lot of plays to go through where I can share specific patterns of play, what we can look out for. Um, and of course, those of you who are familiar with my work, um, three of my books, the What Is Your Game Missing series. So that's What Is Your Game Missing? What Is Your Game Missing Now? And What Is Your Game Missing To Win? Really broke down every single player that achieved a round of 16 result or higher uh, At a grand slam over I, I want to say from memory uh, Two to four seasons. However, it was also a longitudinal analysis. So that's spanned over. I think roughly around 10 years um so really I think remember it it has actually been less than a month (laughs) only um three and a half ish weeks since the release of my 12th And I'm still incredibly excited and I really want to keep that going. So for those of you who have grabbed your copy, thank you so much for your support. Those of you who are new, I really want to encourage you to get your hands on it. And if you're not familiar, it is titled, by no surprise, uh, I am sure, How to Develop a Top 10 Tennis Ranking. Because lo and behold, beyond top 10 tennis, ironically came to fruition midway through 2023 um, when I was at writing the book because I thought what a great opportunity to share um, additional insights and really key pieces I think that weren't necessarily directly a part of the book but uh, were inadvertent to it as well so to share I think additional core insights that were I think equally and incredibly as powerful so of course when we're looking at um the key metrics uh, where to go and the developmental spectrum which if you've been following along the secrets to optimal coaching success really shares some core insights and for those of you who are familiar or if you are new our initial first 50 episodes oh my goodness it was uh, quite the achievement to get that far in less than six months because goodness me was it a whirlwind Uh, the secrets to optimal performance success really set the stage so again I, I really want to encourage you If you are new, there could be some, I think, aspects you could be unfamiliar with, or you might be a bit confounded by, and that's okay. But I want to encourage you to backtrack then, to, uh, I guess, traverse through those episodes, because as has, I think, become custom, um, over the last six plus months, is that we're really setting the stage and then pushing the marker a little bit further and there's obviously a reason behind that because that's essentially what the work does whether it is book one (laughs) how the secrets to optimal performance success through to book 12 um, how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking it's incredibly powerful but I think before um, I dive into, uh, look, the United Cup has just wrapped up with the Brisbane International to uh, the Auckland event and we've got the Adelaide International comm- commencing this week as well. So it is jam-packed. And I'm sure there, there are more um, that I'm just not mentioning, uh, not intentionally. Um, but I think one of the biggest concerns leading up to this, and I have shared this in previous episodes is around, I think, um, misguidance. So, and I say that in respect to, um, if you're not familiar necessarily what you're doing if you don't really know how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking which is essentially 99.9% of those of you out there and that's expected and that is obviously why this this body of work has come to life. But where I'm going here is that it leaves you very susceptible vulnerable, irrespective of your age. Um, I think uh, the younger you are, potentially the more susceptible. Um, though that is a very, I think, stereotypical. So what I am sharing here is that you're really looking to progress towards a top 10 tennis ranking. And there are so many coaches out there, and hopefully most of them with very good intentions. Uh, though we have to be very mindful that unless they have the backstory and and so when I say backstory I mean the data unless they've um, engrossed themselves with these uh, techs so this body of work it means they are not up to speed They they do not have the toolkit required to develop a top 10 tennis ranking now And I say that because, and we've obviously got the data to, I think, underscore this, which again is, I think, more uh, uh, explained in more detail in how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking (laughs) and the power of the eighth key in there. And it's really about um, how the game has not just changed, but um, specific uh, metrics um, involved. Now, you'll hear me say metrics quite a lot. And I think those of you who are familiar with Beyond Top 10 Tennis, you understand this because it really, I think, covers a variety of aspects. So we're really looking at technical proponents of a player's game, specific angles of influence, micro discrepancies, um, different angles. When we're looking at the degrees, whether it's a 90 degree, 180 degree, somewhere in between to 270 degrees. And it's not necessarily about that, but we're looking at the kinetic chain, so how the body works, and we're simplifying it. But obviously, from my text, The Science of Elite Performance, it's very detailed and quite scientific, I think, in that light, to the more lighter ones, which we, we are on now. So, The Secret Stop and more Coaching Success, and how it really shares, I think, the more simplified uh, coaching processes involved in developing that top 10 tennis ranking um, and it's really important to recall i am your tennis coaching guru which is yes a, a bit of fun but it's one of those texts that has a uh, 10 years of a uh, tennis lessons slash planners and that has been designed to integrate these key metrics and mechanics along the way that delivers a second decade of play so cumulatively we're looking at 20 years so we're looking at whether you're from eight years of age to 18 years of age for that first 10 years towards that second uh, 10 years so by the time you say 24 to 28 years of age you're reaching I think um, that peak level of play Um, but without getting I think too sidetracked the concern is there are a lot of I think Elite coaches out there, very good coaches, those who have achieved um, success. Uh, previously, um, I have had an episode that, that did touch briefly on Simone Halep's uh, unfortunate case slash circumstances involving her coaching team, etc. So I'm not going to go into that. Obviously, if, uh, just as a point of reference, that's a couple of episodes back. But where I'm going here, you have some very popular uh, coaches that have, um, their names, which I'm not going to mention, mention, have become almost synonymous with exceptional coaching practices. And I think it's really important to share a word of warning uh, slash caution here, because again, we've got the data, the research, and for those of you who are, you know, peeking the eyebrows up, um, it does have to do with coaches on both the WTA and ATP tours, as long as players, and it's quite involved. More than 150,000 inferences, the biggest study of its kind um, worldwide. It's incredibly subst- substantial, uh, the first universally that's uncovered this. I, I can't stress this enough, and I think I really do underplay it because... I personally think it's it's, it's groundbreaking, it's incredibly exciting, but for me it's a normal practice because I've been responsible I think for it for the last 11 plus years now. And if I was in your shoes, I would be running home with it going, oh my goodness, I am set, top 10 tennis ranking, here I come. However, I know not all of you are going to think like that and that's okay. So I really, I think sharing or talking to those of you who are on a similar wavelength, Where I'm going here is that um, social media, and I do have a um, a episode on this, again, a couple of of episodes back, and it really touched on, I think, uh, people sharing different um, coaching tips to advice. And this ranges from uh, club academy level coaches to those on tour, those who have even worked with players and achieved Grand Slam success. Now, what really is shared in in addition to in my latest release is also why um, this is, I think, incorrect slash untrue. And it's because there's a reason why one coach and one player achieve very good things together. So whether that is one Grand Slam, two Grand Slams, five Grand Slams, or even more. And there's also an underlying reason why that same coach does not achieve the same results with another player. And this is where we have to be very careful because if that same coach is giving coaching tips to you, and so I say to you, if you're aspiring to head towards a top ten tennis ranking, it, it, this is where it gets a bit messy slash um, <laughs> dangerous in a manner of speaking, because it was only um, today, even and yesterday, so it, more more recently where I've come across, I think this specific. Uh, coach sharing these insights, and I'm sure with with very good intentions. Though when we have to um, strip it back, we go, well, one had to do with uh, looking at the forehand ground stroke. And those of you who are not aware, I am actually the world's leading expert, authority, and scientist behind the forehand ground stroke. Uh, That is me and it is very new so in the last couple of years obviously the work was been 11 years in the making and it has been nine years i think since it's um since it was confirmed in that manner but and there's been a lot of offshoots so obviously how that has positioned me to optimize again the backhand ground stroke towards the serve volley mechanics and ultimately a, a lot in between and then be behind how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking with with everything obviously wrapped up there where I'm going is one of the tips there was about the wrist is that how to obviously optimize your forehand has to do with your wrist and this is really concerning because it's actually unfortunately quite incorrect and again those of you who are familiar with my work it's all about optimizing your results so achieving best status in the world without getting injured. So it's about mitigating injuries. You can look at Del Potro, for example, and um, his wrist and the issues he's had over the years. Djokovic more recently has a little tweak, we'll say, with his wrist he's looking after. I'm sure it's fine. Um, But there have been a number of players over the years that have had issues with their wrist and it is a very small joint, very small, minute muscles in that area and essentially you do not want to abuse those muscles. You don't want to take advantage of that. Your work is not in the wrist so it's actually a very big misconception. Um, It's obviously uh, and actually in in the movement. So obviously how you function and hit the ball, how you brush the ball with your strings and that trajectory, how you're using your body. And that's obviously where the kinetic chain comes into play. And when we look at players from Serena Williams, uh, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, all of these four players with 20 grand slams or more so all four with 20 grand slams or more these players use their whole body there is not one aspect of their game where they switch a part of their body off (laughs) and just go it's an isometric i think stroke so i'm just going to use this part in this joint there is nothing more incorrect then saying it is uh, you are reliant on a specific joint or one specific uh, muscle. It's, it's very um, dangerous to share that because by someone who has made a name for themselves because they've worked with a player who has achieved very good things, obviously they did something exceptionally right with that player which again we know we underscore and um, th- there are some key ingredients there but it's there's also why a, re- a reason why in the last couple of years um, that coach has not been able to replicate that with another uh, player and or athlete irrespective I think of different I think reports or what the media has suggested that is uh, uh, unfortunately not the case and again our data pinpoints exactly why it is um, so I'm not going to allow elaborate specifically here I think what I'm sharing is um the need to be cautious and the need to be cautious when you're you're listening to I think um many people online irrespective who they are if they've won a Grand Slam with a player or not Uh, I think um on the other end I I was looking at at a coach that um I'm not personally not sure who they are but that's 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 okay um and they were giving coaching tips, which is wonderful. Though on the other side, uh, the tips they were sharing were very similar. So, and they're looking at very, I think uh, conflict, like it's almost a conflict of interest when we're looking at the body and we're looking at optimizing. And the most concerning part is, this is why we have uh, so many players vying for a top 10 tennis ranking and they don't get there. Um, remember or recall um, over the previous episodes when I've shared I think additional insights on how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking and I think um, key pieces out of that. Remember uh, that the work uh, is so specific We know why a player is ranked uh, top 20 in the world and why they are not a top 10 tennis player. We know what's stopping them. That's how uh, concise it is. We know why a player ranked inside the top 10 has not won a Grand Slam. We know why a player is positioned to win a Grand Slam and we even have metrics that underscore the likelihood leveraging our predictive analytics if they will win a second grand slam and if they grow, and so that's replicated success in our work. And um, so it's incredibly, I think, gra- it is groundbreaking, but it's um, incredibly rewarding to understand, I think, the complete cycle on how that is the case and we'll get to that later with the Australian Open around the corner which is obviously the first Grand Slam of the season and players who are really positioned to either claim their maiden Grand Slam or achieve replicated success and or more which again is incredibly exciting but When we're looking at players who are not ranked inside the top 100, players who are at club and or academy level, and they're looking to progress towards the top 100, we need to make sure you've got some really uh, fine tuned metrics to push you through that second decade of play. So essentially you're in that first decade of play, roughly so you are 16 towards 21 22 looking towards that peak period to make your mark inside the top 200 to progress inside the top 100 and hopefully not plateau and continue because again remember we know why with the metrics why you plateau we know why that peak performance stagnates and that could be at uh, 80 in the world, 150 in the world, 300 in the world. We know why you hover on that ranking, why you don't break through. The good news, the best news is for the players out there, it's not just you. For the coaches, it's not just you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a two-way street. So it is the coach and the player. So that's why when you're looking at uh, those who are named the best coaches in the world, why that's not the case. Um, Something I don't often share is that I am the world's leading scientist on coach and athlete performance and I'm also the world's leading coach um, on that and the world's leading coach behind how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking. However, I'm so much more than a coach with my doctorate behind me as that researcher and that scientist to that author who has unveiled Uh, the specific data to metrics behind that and I do have episodes why I don't necessarily share I think the coaching standpoint because yes unfortunately sexism in the coaching landscape ageism especially how it affects women I think in the sporting arena and it's almost like a safety net by just saying scientist in contrast to coach because there are so many I think negative connotations associated with that Um, Uh, stereotypical I think um, stigmas etc and so I won't get into that that is we've touched on that in previous episodes And I wanted to shift the conversation not necessarily around my expertise to area of authority but it's to help you develop that top 10 tennis ranking because the most rewarding part after spending the last 11 years of my life uncovering this and obviously um, authoring and publishing those 12 texts is essentially one unheard of for someone to do that especially I think in this domain uh, two to be, I think, within my age range. Those of you who are familiar, if not, uh, jump on over to AMA International. Click on Doctor B, and you will, you will see it all there. And obviously, thoughts, feedback, all of the above. Come say hi; is always welcome. Obviously, on our, again on our social media. Um, Posts platforms that be on top to 10 tennis shows and is always included in our episode notes. Where I'm going though, again, is we really need to be cautious, irrespective if there's a coach out there who has made a name for themselves. And has become uh, popularized, uh, popularized because of that, or or not? I think one of the best parts, or um, and I do not personally know them. Um, it's just a very good example that I've recently read up on is Rubikina's, um She's had an incredible run with her, obviously Wimbledon results, finalist results, and most recently claiming the Brisbane International. Incredibly exciting. Um, The most interesting part, however, is from her coach. And even though I think I only know a little bit, um, but what I'm sharing here is that they believed mutually in one another uh, a couple of years ago and, and they came up with a plan. And this was something I was just briefly reading the other day. And I think what's so rewarding is that when we're looking at the seven keys towards the eight keys, they're there. And if you're not familiar with that, the text seven keys to optimize your life, uh, that using tennis to develop behaviors that deliver optimal performances in play and in life, and yes, that is a very long subtitle, um, really underscores the seven key ingredients to develop a top 10 tennis ranking. And obviously the latest text releases the eighth key, which is incredibly detailed, um, to really bring it home. What this is about though, when you find that pairing, that coach and that athlete that works together to achieve incredible things, yes that is what you want. Although we have to be very cautious when we're looking at other coaches who have achieved exceptional results with another player. There's a reason why that is not the case with another player and that is why when they begin to share coaching tips Just be very careful because the latest one um, I read and I think this one was actually I think before I jumped on to record today's episode and I thought hold on because if you're a 12 year old listening to this and and you start using your wrist there's a very good likelihood in the next two to three years you're going to have an injury specifically in that area and potentially you won't be able to finish that first decade of play because your wrist will be so run down wish injury Um, and that's incredibly disheartening so and that is why we need to be cautious you have players and again we've got episodes on this that are in their teenage years and they rock up to grand slams in tape they are just falling apart and holding themselves together with sports tape that's not how it's meant to be Um, you can use tape obviously as a precaution one of my favorite examples here is obviously Serena Williams who would uh, religiously take her ankles as a precaution because some of us are more susceptible to those ankle rolls and I can definitely put my hand up there I cannot tell you or share how many times um, I have rolled my ankles I honestly cannot to the point where as I ventured away from tennis and into running, those of you again who are familiar with my backstory, (laughs) and that even though I have rolled them uh, over a period of time, I do go through phases where I'll take them or maybe I don't put the work in to rehab them and they do not recover optimally, but do not do what I do that is purely out of laziness and wanting to just continue running and not rehab again because of my background in rehabbing so often. However, I share that is that I know what it's like to rehab an injury and over and over again and why a lot of my work, uh, no, I I I retract that, all of my work is essentially um, underscored by making sure We're safeguarding the body slash mitigating injuries to ensure you can enjoy that second decade of play at your peak. You can ascend towards a top 10 tennis ranking. All right, so I think without further further ado on that, I've given that word of caution. I've shared why, I've shared additional insights from how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking, as well as additional uh, other texts that I've penned, but also um, why, it's uh, important to be cautious of um, your social media posts, irrespective if you're listening to someone who has achieved exceptional results with another player or not. And that also goes for players as well. They could be an incredible player um, in their own right or they could be a retired player, but you, there is a reason why they are either not working with a player at this stage and or there's a reason why they did not achieve Achieve um, X, Y, and Z heights um, because we really have to remember whether it is a Federer and Nadal, Djokovic to Serena. They didn't get there on their own. Of course, um, they did a lot of the hard work. You got to remember the co- their coaches at that time or throughout their career also didn't get to where they are without that player because it's a two-way street and I just can't stress that enough because it really is the coach and the player and the willingness to form that team and work together. When you have a player sharing uh, specific metrics just be careful that they're covering those eight keys. If you're not familiar with the eight keys that's where how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking comes in. Um, It's the same with the coaches. If they're not I think underscoring or knowledgeable of those eight keys there's your word of warning and that's been touched on again in previous episodes and our the body of work has been designed to really simplify these practices to touch on the eight keys because again if you want to develop a top 100 ranking look you're probably going to be okay top 80 you're probably going to be okay um but there's no guarantee we, we uh, have a specific guarantee here, which again is a world first and incredibly exciting. Though, so that's again, that's not what it's about because when we're looking at ranking results to ratios, we're set on that top 10 tennis ranking. That's what it's all about. If you wanna develop a top 10 tennis ranking, you come here. If you want to know how to win a Grand Slam to more than one Grand Slam, you come here. If you want to make sure you become a professional tennis player on the WTA or ATP tour and you mitigate injuries so you're safeguarding your body, you come here. If you wanna become a professional tennis player and you don't care what ranking you get to, if you reach a ranking plateau, you wanna do the hard way and you wanna reach 80 in the world and then just not progress, 50 in the world and struggle, or even 500 in the world and wonder, oh my gosh, why am I not progressing? Then you're probably gonna stay with uh, who you're with, Um, but if you want those questions answered, you come here. So there's obviously that grey area that if you don't have specific metrics you're seeking, uh, oh, it doesn't matter. But if you are, if you, if you do have your eyes set on developing that top ten tennis ranking, th- this is where this body of work is all about. Okay, now let's head into I think first up the United Cup. Um, if you watched Suija Tech against Kerber last night, especially that first set. I hope you were blown away as much as I was because I can tell you what, seeing Kerber play the way she did in that first set, especially in when it was 3-all, she was playing at that level that got her to her Grand Slam finals and or when she won them. Because the level of play blew me away, especially when I was looking at her, I think, earlier in the week, Um, especially irrespective if it was against Sakari in that first set or... uh, Where was it? I want to say against France as well. That was three sets that was very solid again against Garcia. And again, for a player who has been, I think, away from the game, who has just again become a new mother to reach this level is mind-blowing. We know Svitolina has done um, and or achieved similar fates, but... When was, uh took her time away from court to start a family, she was still ranked, I think, from memory in the top 10. Um, Kerber, I think, at that time was ranked inside the top 30. May have slipped slightly, but was always a serious contender. But especially seeing her play the way she did against the number one player in the world, so Swiatek was absolutely phenomenal Uh, granted that second set was six love um, that's okay and I say it's okay because it's understandable when you when you come back um, from whether it is 12 to 18 months off tour you're going to need to find that level of endurance to stamina again but to toe the line with the number one player in the world and Swiatek was playing phenomenal it is not like either player was having a bad day um, it was it was solid and I I, I think the scoreline does not I think Duke justice completely though I don't want to take anything away from Tech. she really had to lift her game and I think it was incredibly exciting to see but I think what's even more important here is I want to touch on uh, some of those key metrics now I think most excitingly and I, I did post something a couple of days ago on Twitter about this is that if you're looking at Kerber right now Uh, A couple of days away uh, ago sorry it was her metrics were around 20 to 30 percent of where they used to be um, when she won the uh, um, Australian Open now if you're looking fast forward a couple of days to when she was playing Swiatek those metrics increased roughly i'm going to say to 60 to 70 percent if not slightly higher uh, SWEA tech i'm going to say without doing any specific calculations she was sitting around 80 to 90 percent uh, which again is absolutely exceptional and i think the best part about all of this is that SWEA tech has been playing solid all week and her match even against Garcia three sets which is very solid to see her come through and I want to say against Zhang that was a very solid match and that was actually tough so it's not like uh, SwearTech has been having a clean sweep all tournament um, but she has had some more let's say uh, easy matches and those that did challenge her and what I like is that she is being challenged but even better if you look from her uh, initial progress to her finale there is a very distinct level where a progression has been achieved and that is what I find the most uh, interesting And what we really want to keep an eye on. If Swiatek had been pushed to three sets every single match and there was no trajectory that's very different but when we're looking at specifics to those micro discrepancies she did play a very clean game against Kerber and I want to say she's on track for a very healthy progression. And with the Australian Open, uh, less than a week away now when this comes to air, this is a very good metric. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to elaborate on that anymore. Although, uh, granted, Swiatek is number one, um, even though Sabalenka almost, if she did win the Brisbane International, was potentially going to claim the number one spot again. Uh, I'm definitely in favour of Swiatek's form in contrast, and the, how she's been tracking. Um, re- recall again our predictive analytics and obviously all our data that underscores how we know who's going to progress to the round of 16, to the quarters, semis, etc. Of grand slams um we use these metrics not to say who necessarily in advance um obviously after because of obviously ethical connotations associated with that but i think it's very healthy to share uh swear text uh core metrics um, that are underscored in how to develop the top 10 tennis ranking and the what is your game missing series and how it's been progressing and now if you are familiar with my other episodes or previous episodes you you, i think you understand that even more Kerber, however is the same rate Um, is she on track for a round of 16 or further that really depends if she plays this coming week and if there's more to be seen. Though I can tell you this, how Kerber played against Swiatek in that first set, um, irrespective of going down 6-3, if she's able to sustain that level of performance, that's a word of warning. That is a very big danger card. And this level of danger was not as present 18 months ago. That is, I think, the most exciting part because without a doubt, Kerb has brought her A game back and the last uh, I want to say two to three seasons on tour prior to taking her time away to begin her family uh, was not at this level that I saw in the first set. Now that should tell you something uh, I think quite exciting for those of you who have been following her uh, over the course I think of the last decade. Okay, and next in line would be Zarev versus Herkax in the final uh, of the United Cup. And those of you who are watching, I hope you were as blown away as I was. Um, I definitely thought it was going to be wrapped up in two. And Zarev, his level of play, um, I think without a doubt, it's fair to say he's back. <laughs> and I know um, insofar as the rankings are concerned, that Zarev has been edging on closer and closer towards the top 10, and he's now positioned inside the top 10, sitting at number seven. Having been where he was two years ago, and having to go through, I think, quite a drastic rehab, regress to progress, this is one player we can say, um, with his coaching team, um, knows, Uh, of those eight keys irrespective of that displacement and that's what's so exciting because you've got players for example to the likes of I'm going to say Casper Rudd who has regressed slightly outside the top ten who's not so much Although you've got Alex Demure, who I'm going to touch on later, who does, and that is why he has been progressing. Though so Some players who were inside the top 10, from Norrie, for example, to Felix, sitting at 29, we know there have been uh, some regressions, even from Dan Evans. It, it, it's very, I think, um, sad in a manner of speaking, but... We really want to underscore those eight keys Warrinka is coming back, sitting at 49. And it's the first time I'm seeing this as I'm sharing this with you, which I'm very excited by. Though I think the number one player who I'm most excited about because he has been progressing and he is finding form from where he almost once was. He's not at that level, but almost. And if you can guess, sitting at 42 as I'm recording is Andy Murray and he has been having i think some really solid results look is he playing uh back into the top 10 no of course not however is he dangerous he definitely is he has his days where his movement is it complements his game, which means obviously to develop a top 10 tennis ranking and you're looking at those core metrics, it's all about your movement. So recall earlier in uh, in today's episode, just about a wrist joint. No, it's not about a joint, it's about your movement. And that is why I think having that issue with his hip is so, uh, or was quite derailing because your hips are that important and you are reliant on that because of core metrics Um, that obviously are underscored throughout our body of work. But going back to Zarev, and he's made incredible progress that I think almost goes um, ignored in a way because it was almost expected that he'd be back on top but you've got the likes of Thien for example who's not back there. Raducanu who's not back there when you're looking at injuries. Osaka is going to be interesting to see obviously what happens with her progress. Nadal for example that was quite disheartening but he played a very solid match though I want to really wrap up here the United Cup. Zarev played phenomenal and I think on that point Yes, Germany winning the title. That was a, quite, a bit surprising, though, I'm going to say, that having Swiatek and herx coming off these singles, they definitely would have been a, bit, uh, a little bit exhausted. And I think Zarev playing in the mix with Sigmund coming in with fresh legs, I'm going to say that probably made a, quite a substantial difference, even though it was 10-4 in the third. That's that's an exceptional tournament. Garcia taking Swiatek to third. I think that's very exciting but I think the biggest player, the as a result of the tournament is going to be Alex, Alex and Manua um, overcoming Djokovic yes and obviously in our previous episode we highlighted obviously the likelihood of that happening which is really cool because again I think that underscores our metrics and um, that episode went to air and that that evening was when uh, Alex played Djokovic and it, what, what a great match but also It's not surprising, because when we're looking at the data, and I've been tracking Alex for a number of years now, this was, it's his time, and again is why when he played Zarev and overcame him in three sets, what a great match, again, because it's not surprising. And we really need to remember, whilst Zarev is seven in the world, top 10 play, exceptional, alex has been progressing he's sitting at number 12 now this time last year top 20 and i think um 18 months ago inside the top 25 he's slowly been putting the work and he's uh, slowly been progressing and that's what we look for we want those i think gradual progressions not i think rapid fire that i've touched on Radicano, for example was rapid fire and that is why there's been such a substantial regression And there's all this, I think, expectation to have her back at the top. But it's like, hold on, this was a very rapid fire progression, which means um, the regression was just the same. So to get you inside the top 30, top 20 again, we really need to find, I think, where your form is and to build upon that opposed to expecting. I think another player who's worth i think sharing a little bit more and it's probably Tissapas um Zarev did overcome Tissapas and probably would have expected it to be the other way around however with Zarev playing how he has been playing i'm not surprised because we need to remember when um Zarev was at his peak before obviously um his injury that happened so obviously when he was playing the Dal at the french open Zarev's form was on song as he was projected to make a Grand Slam final again and or potentially be in the best form to claim his maiden slam. Um, obviously, that did not happen, though his level back then was, and his ranking was in front of Tisipas. Tisipas has been able to hold his own. Uh, granted, he's been healthy. So to have Zarev come back and beat Tisipas again, I think this really underscores and goes to show that Zarev has come back. He has found his form. He is a little bit dangerous. That said, I am being a little, a little bit sarcastic here with that little because, oh my goodness. Number seven, with all the progressions that Rev's been making, And with the metrics, what I'm looking at, even though Alex did overcome him, when we're looking at his other matches, and I think how far he's been able to progress, even three against Amcinegro, it's not that he's playing poorly and or bad. We're really looking at that level of consistency, how he can hold his own, even three sets against Manorino sure we could say that could have been done in two sets but if he's getting all these matches and these games under his belt and he's able to finish the tournament i think in three over Herxax uh, at such an exceptional level, top 10, going off against a top 10. This is what it really comes down to and what it's all about. Um, And I think that's a good way to wrap the United Cup up. And it's time now to head on over to the Brisbane International. Now I don't think it is any surprise with Rubikina walking away with the title. Uh, granted she did overcome Sabalenka and I'm sure maybe not as many people uh, could see the first set result being six love. I'm um, of course six three in the second set. But I think the scoreline doesn't really do it justice. Ribikina played an incredibly clean set. Her metrics were on song which essentially or what i mean by that is that yes she was performing in alignment with in correlation with the metrics that uh, we've d- discussed previously and that are shared in uh, how to develop a top 10 tenants ranking um and it was clean enough to go of course she's going to win the top. Um, and I think on the flip side uh, looking at Sabalenka whilst her metrics obviously are impressive so it's not to take anything away from her and she had been performing quite well all tournament which shows by her making the final however when we're looking at one player and another player, and we're, and we're weighing them up in a manner of speaking, and we're, we're looking at, I think, these specific patterns, so recall in um, previous episodes, how I've shared and or divulged more on uh, specific movement patterns, um, when we're looking at optimizing our performances, um, specific keys that correlate with that top 10 tennis ranking towards making uh, Grand Slam championships to replicate its success, um, Rippa uh, was ahead. And that is why it's not shocking and or surprising. Uh, I think the most interesting part to come out of this is is that we know both of them have one grand slam to their name. They are both positioned to win a, a second grand slam potentially. So there are specific rulers around replicated success and and when and, and time frames. And what I mean by that and I'm sharing a lot here, but to learn more it is the what is your game missing to win and what is your game missing now? Both of those titles specifically Pinpoint this in more detail but what I'm getting to is that both of these players we know can win a second Grand Slam now when we're looking at these metrics one outweighs the other but obviously one title is not enough to go by but I can tell you this Both of them are on the clock now, which means we know within the next, uh, for one of them, the next 12 months, um, and the other one, the next I six months to see what's going to happen and I think it's really important to remember that Ribikina has made those finals. Um, Sapelanka is really well positioned having made the final though I'm not going to share I think specific outcomes or predictions and or what our predictive analytics are sharing and or saying um, because we've already touched on that previously Um, and earlier in today's episode and obviously that underlying why. But what I can share is the I think those key factors. Um, another player I really want to bring attention to is Azarenka. Having made the semi-final, going two and four versus Sabalenka, it was not a bad match. Sabalenka played solid, very clean, and you know what? Azarenka is finding her form. I was actually quite impressed. Uh, and when we're looking at or we've discussed, I think Kerb has come back earlier on. I think it's it's really I think it's not shared enough that Azarenka is a mum too, and she was at the prime of her game as as well when she took time away. And I think from memory, she was inside the top ten. Similar, I think Spitalina was in in the top ten too. And I think I. I draw attention to that because i think of the longevity there and, and kerber of course top top 30 at the time roughly I do not have any of these numbers in front of me. So, so these are all um, just, just approximate numbers. But how she's been able to keep her form, find that form, maintain that form, uh, she is always a dark horse. And I say that because we all know she's made the finals of a Grand Slam since then. And I think it's what we talk about is that maintenance. And that is what, and this is again, in, I think, this body of work. But that's what we're looking at. Can you sustain? this level of playing that's what differentiates the eight percent to the 92 percent so recall again previous episodes and how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking Um, for the very first time in the history of our sport we've uncovered what only 8% of players know and what 92% do not but it's the same with coaches what 8% of coaches know and what 92% do not there's a reason why only eight players every year stay inside the top 10 as a minimum because we know their players being displaced whether it is um, to 11 or 12 or 13 there is a reason why they're pushed outside of the top 10 that is how fine-tuned specific and accurate our it is and it really delivers the new edge of play and again i think tracking back to earlier in today's episode touching on coaches who have achieved really good things with other players we need to go well if you have the eight keys we know you can do this with another and another and another and another and that does that player have it then we know that they're on song for their maiden championships and their next and the next and the next And that is why we know those top four that I've touched on, why 20 plus Grand Slams are really not that surprising when we're looking at the data. And that's how exciting it is. Why we've got the likes of Asaka Dessuiatech with four Grand Slams already. And we're really, I think I'm excited to see how Asaka goes and and with her form and and if she's really able to hold that. Um, And and we will touch on that shortly. But Ribikina as well in her semis, it was very clean. I think she played a very clean tournament. Sabalenka versus Katatskina was very clean as well. And that's why I think it's really important not to overshadow the final because it's not that Sabalenka played bad. Rubikina was a different level, and it's really important to underscore, especially at this level of play. You've got two players, number two, and I think Rubikina is at number three in the world at the moment, and that is incredibly impressive because I think it's definitely um, arguable to push Rubikina, um a little bit further and it's definitely a dark horse when we're looking at Swiatek. And I say Dark Horse almost ironically because of course she's primed to win her second Grand Slam. Sabalenka potentially is primed to win her second Grand Slam as well. And Swiatek is primed, given her performance at the United Cup, to win her fifth Grand Slam. So it's all to do with that maintenance and when we're looking at those core metrics. And I'm going to keep a close eye on all of these players in, in the next week and obviously the rest of the month but what we're looking at is where their games break down are their games going to break down and really what's to come look Austin Penko as well she had a very impressive tournament even though it was three sets versus Azarenka it's not that she played bad and I think it's really important I think to underscore that and there's a slew of other players I mean Pliskova, um, she played solid Austin Penko obviously coming out in three And little instances, I think, from that perspective, Uh, Collins, three sets. I'm not too surprised by that. I'm really happy to see her back with some good form. Um, Stevens, however, was down in three. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, it is three sets and, and I'm happy with that. But I'm really looking to see again what is to come in the next, you know, two, three weeks. What's that level of maintenance that we're going to be looking at? And that's where I think where it gets uh, even more exciting. Kennan, um, more surprisingly, um, two very tight sets, though obviously she did go down. Um, Asaka, um, she won that first match back and I think she played quite well. And it was really good to see I think the form that she's in now but there are some few key insights here most I think interestingly is yes three sets against Pliskova but we all know Pliskova is positioned as a top 10 player on any day of the week sure maybe her ranking does not align with that at this stage however at the end of the day she is incredibly dangerous she knows what it's like to make the later rounds of grand slams so for Osaka to get so close after having 12 plus months um, off tour is incredibly impressive and i think that really needs to be underscored um, there are obviously key correlations there with, with Nadal and, and his results Um, But Osaka, I'm going to say, and go out almost on on a bit of a limb, it's to do with, obviously, the matches she's able to get under her belt. However, metrics specifically, very similar to a few other players I've mentioned, were they at the level they once were when we're looking at that 80 90% plus for a top 10 performance? No they were probably gauging around 40 to 50% when we're looking at consistency, rate of application, rate of progress, and when we're looking at those progressions, regressions, and those specific, I think, keys, metrics, and the the aforementioned correlations. But it's a start, and I think that's what's really important. Um, Now I think it's really important slash exciting, we're looking at the men's side, and I think the best part here um, that I'm really happy with, is seeing Dimitrov <laughs> walk away with the title because I think it's roughly his first since um, uh, 2017. So to find this form um, at this stage is incredibly impressive and really needs to be run home. And at the same time, uh, 7-6, 6-4 against Rune, who's inside the top 10, who's been pretty good. I mean, his results haven't been um, as consistent, as solid as potentially they could have been. But uh, again, I think he slowed down in the later half of the year. So making the finals of the Brisbane International is very solid. And Dimitrov played like his top 10 self. Um, Granted that that is not his obviously current ranking. I think it's equally arguable to know that Dimitrov has that potential. I mean, look, he's currently sitting at 14 at this stage, but he has been, I think, closer around the 20 to 30 range for some time. But when Dimitrov finds his form, he is dangerous against any top 10 player. And I think that's what's most exciting. And I would argue and say that his metrics, they were not around like the 80, 90, probably 60 to 70 percent but they were solid and they were solid enough. Uh, Rune however I'm going to say it, it was really uh, more of a cause for concern when we're looking at anticipation, um, reactivity that I've touched on and just finding that rhythm. Uh, Dimitrov really took that away from him. His metrics were there not as good as I've seen him so there's a slight regression there but I think more importantly Dimitrov versus Thompson that was that was two solid sets and Thompson was of quite impressive in this respect, Um, namely because three sets against Nadal, um, of course, biggest win of his career. That said though, Nadal coming out and going down in three, that is a really solid match. I think we can all say that we were really happy to see Rafa back but his form was actually very solid and very good and I think the third set it just got a little bit too much his level did drop Um, again because when we're looking at maintenance uh, and being able to keep that level at at, at the highest at this level that he's used to for a longer period of time and he does not he has not had that uh, not enough of it so it's not that he played bad it's more so that Thompson stuck to the plan stuck to his game and Nadal's just just not there yet and that's really what it was about. Um, we're definitely going to miss him at the Australian Open. That it was definitely, I think, heartbreaking um, in a manner of speaking. Uh, but I don't want to take anything away from Thompson because he really did play solid. Solid enough, to, I think, to put Nadal under pressure to need to lift his level. And obviously, we know what has happened. Um, in the earlier rounds, though, I think when Nadal played Kubler, that, that was scary in a really good way that that was retro uh, because he was playing that cleanly. So I really think it's being pushed longer um, timeliness or time-wise in this respect that I think really made the difference. I think they are the primary standouts that I've touched on. We've got other players playing quite well but the ones I think that I've mentioned I really want to I think run home with um, and to keep an eye on. I think when we're looking at the United Cup, the Brisbane International, the one that we've got left then is the uh, the ASB Classic that's been over, obviously, in Auckland. And I think the primary player here is obviously Goff taking the title. That said, though, (laughs) Goff playing Svitolina in, I think, um, the final was the most exciting part because I was very excited to see fidelina back nice and deep and the same is apparent for golf coming off obviously the US Open we really wanted to see if her level was still there we see we often see um, those who have won the US Open, there is a bit of a drop or it's consistent as in they're able to amp up and keep that level of play. So having Gorf at this level is a very good metric. I'm going to put golf in line with Ribikina and Swiatek and Sabalenka with how they're playing and then I'm going to throw Svitolina in there as well. I'm not sure in respect to longevity, timeliness, etc. in respect to the later but all of these plays have been holding their own they've had a really i want to say solid uh, end of season to the past six months where they're able to maintain that and that's what we're looking for rather than that inconsistency we want to see what you're able to maintain and what's your baseline so recall previous episodes and i've touched on that baseline um, performance and then we want to move it up a notch so we're really looking at baseline performances that are steadily being moved up a notch or two because when you're looking at, I think, heading into a grand slam, this is where it gets even more and more exciting. I think, of course, um, it's definitely worth mentioning uh, um Having been sidelined with injuries for some time, um, she had a pretty good start back. And look, she made the round of 16, three sets against Svitolina. Definitely could have gone either way in those first two sets, definitely obviously again when we're looking at maintenance stamina endurance uh, and obviously if you have i think uh, that level of maintenance again to um, withhold and to then continue to, to keep up to keep pace so obviously that six one in the third really i think underscores that not just yet but i think it's very important at the same time to recognize fiddling longevity in the top 10 is incredible Raducanu's however skyrocketed to inside the top 10 after a US Open triumph but there was not too much on the back end of that and obviously it wasn't a surprise with that rankings regression so what we want to see is the consistency and that level of maintenance throughout the season throughout a number of events which is going round to 16 further at this case Uh, this stage no because when we're looking at those metrics they're not there the level of consistency the level of application it is not there and this is what is so paramount and so important when we're looking at heading towards uh, maintaining to sustaining obviously your place that position inside the top 10 um, but more I think succinctly inside that top 8% when we're looking at uh, that top 10 tennis ranking Thank you so much for joining us today i mean oh my goodness um finishing with the asb classic and just touching on a couple of players there through to the united cup which was more i think very detailed through to the brisbane international which is probably even more detailed i'm sure you could tell i get very excited these they're from the metrics the statistics the patterns of play um the keys everything i think um into works within a player's results, the outcomes. Because look, at the end of the day, that's why we're here. 11 years I've spent, I think, uncovering it. And hopefully, um, you really did pull some solid points out of it today because um, even though we're not in sync as in like match and obviously the re- release of these episodes, I want to encourage you to track back, which means um, look on, I think, irrespective of where you view the tenors and replay those matches. Listen to, I think, this episode at the same time. So really you can uh, look at and I think refine and it will help you um, optimize your game even further for those players who I've mentioned if you're inside the top 30 top 20 or the top 10 Really, I think, pay attention to those key metrics, um, especially if your sights are set on going deep um, at the 2024 Australian Open. And so it's not just round of 16, but talking quarter semis, finals, walking away with that championship. Um, more, I think, importantly, if you're one of those players I listed that I'm keeping a close eye on um, and who's poised for whether replicator success or that fifth grains land, this is where it gets really serious and we get to the nitty gritty and we know what it takes to get over the edge. I uh, look today, I think we didn't get the chance to touch on that humanized approach, but it was the same pattern in our previous episode because our focus is really on real time results at this stage being I think the Australian Summer of Tennis. Uh, but look, to grab your copy of The Secrets to Optimal Coaching Success, head on over to AMA International. Even though we didn't dive into it today, there are some really solid insights there and you will see how it's obviously correlated with i think to today's discussion Um, i think even more importantly slash excitingly and more applicable with the australian open around the corner is to grab a copy of my new release, How to Develop a Top 10 Tennis Ranking. Uh, you can find that on AMA International or Amazon, irrespective where you're based around the world. if uh, any comments or questions, head to AMA International Topic thread, the social platform set on data privacy. Uh, to interact with Beyond Top 10 Tennis, head on over to Twitter, Threads, or Instagram. Uh, to catch up on our weekly coaching tips, head on over to TikTok. And to catch up on our blogs head on over to Ama international and look for our blogs tab or head on over to medium and as always i'll leave all the links in the episode notes for something a little bit different head on over to pink octopus books that's where my fictional release is uh, to view this week's question and poll be sure to visit spotify if you're listening on one of the other many platforms uh, for something left to field visit spruik for some random polls and of course if you enjoyed today's episode please subscribe like share and all of the above would be absolutely phenomenal and look for those of you who are interested we do have scholarships available on Ama international as well as options to work with me exclusively to optimize your performance and to nudge you close towards that top 10 10 it's ranking or replicated success to that maiden grain slam championship so don't be shy and come and say hi on that note thank you so much for listening i'm so incredibly grateful i am your host dr ashley morgan burge and this is beyond top 10 tennis and i'll see you next time